0: Will you please pray with me. Now Lord take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. Good, morning. good morning. I don't know if you remember that first time that you set your eyes upon someone and you fell overhead, you know, head over heels in love. Perhaps you remember that person. I remember I was age 13. Her name was Cecily King and she was beautiful. And I just wanted to be with this girl all the time. I was head over heels, like I said. And so eventually she said yes. And we went on long walks in the countryside. And, you know, we sat on the couch and we snuggled. Thank you, Barry. And and it was just good. It was so good. And it was going to last forever. Well, three weeks later, (laughs) she told me that it was over. You know, and of course, we could still be good friends. It wasn't my fault, blah, blah, blah. And... uh, (laughs) And, and actually, it wasn't really my fault in many ways because about a week later, I was at a party and there she was, sat with my best friend, Matthew Powell. Oh, yeah. Well, it was okay because I moved on to Catherine and then I moved on to Angela and then I moved on to, and then I moved and so on. Thank you again, Barry. And while I was dating Cecily, I found one of those books. Have you ever seen those books? They're called Love Is... And they just say, love is like roses, or love is, you know, never, ever being angry at the one you love. And they're just full of these terrible truisms, right, (laughs) that really aren't true. And uh, I remember reading it and thinking, wow, this is amazing. This is what love is. But then, of course, when Cecily dumped me, I was like, no, love is really painful. Love really hurts. It's a painful thing. We're in a series right now looking at different themes, and one of the themes that comes up around Christmas is, of course, the theme of love. Drive down, Daniel Island Drive, and you see the banners, right? There's peace, and there's hope, and there's love, all on the different banners as you drive down, at Seven Farms Drive, sorry. And as we've been talking, we've talked about what hope is. Chris spoke about that in week one. He talked about how hope is not just wishful thinking. It's actually knowing that one day Jesus will return. It's the good news of the first candle of Advent. He is coming back. He has come, but he's also coming back. Then we talked about peace and about how peace isn't just, you know, when you get peace and quiet and you get that warm feeling when you're snuggled up by the couch, okay, or on the couch and you've got the lights on and there's a warm glow in the room. No, peace is about having that fullness That completeness, that shalom that the Jewish people talk about, where you know your purpose in life, you know who you are, and you know whose you are as well. That is true peace. And then we also talked about joy and how joy isn't just something that is a happy feeling. Actually, joy is much more than that. Joy is something that we can have at all times, even in the greatest of tragedies, even in the worst of suffering. We can still have joy because we know who our Savior is. And we know that he's there with us. And we know that ultimately, we are going to be okay. Well, this week, we come to the love candle. And what is this love that we speak of at Christmas? You know, I was listening to a popular song yesterday on the radio, trying to get in the mood for Christmas, right? And uh, it was that there was that line, it's that time of year when the world falls in love. There's this sense, isn't there, that romantic love even is heightened at this time of year when it's Christmas. And things just start to, you know, people often make marriage proposals, people have weddings and so on, because it's a beautiful time of year. But the love that is spoken of at Christmas is a different kind of love. We're not talking about the love that is romantic love at Christmas. What we're talking about is the sacrificial love of a generous God. The sacrificial love of the generous God who reveals himself in the incarnation of Jesus. That's just a big word for saying that God becomes flesh. He literally comes down from heaven. He empties himself of all that he is and he comes down in the form of a babe to be born in a manger. So I wanna talk a little bit about that today. What does that mean for us and what is that kind of love? So let's turn to our uh, Bible passage for today. It's from John chapter three and it's verses 16 through 21. And it's perhaps one of the most famous passages in the whole of scripture, at least the first verse. You've probably seen the guy standing at the football match behind the goalpost, right? John 3, 16, okay? It's one of those verses that is iconic in American culture and around the world as well. But the context for this story, if you don't know already, is that Jesus is talking to a man called Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus is one of the Pharisees. In fact, he's not just one of the Pharisees. He's one of the 70 Pharisees that rule over Israel. The religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, they would meet together and they would be the ones who would take charge. And Nicodemus wasn't just one of the 70. He was known as the teacher of Israel as well, which likely means that he was the one who was esteemed as the highest teacher in Israel. Well, Nicodemus comes to see Jesus. Now, he doesn't just come at any time. When does he come? He comes at night. Why would he come at night? Maybe a little bit embarrassed to come to this young rabbi and ask him the questions he needs to ask. Basically, he wants to find out, who are you and what are you doing here? And he comes and Jesus tells him right away that Nicodemus himself, this Pharisee of Pharisees, this ruler in Israel, needs to be born again. He needs a new start. Now, Nicodemus probably would have had some idea of what being born again means, but he shares with him, well, well, how can I possibly get back up in my mother's womb and be born again? What does that mean? And Jesus tells him that he needs to be born of the Spirit of water and the Spirit, that he needs a complete rebirth through repentance and through being baptized and then being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's the background to this passage. Because then Jesus shares a bit more about what this means. And we get to verse 16, and he says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What he's trying to explain to Nicodemus and to anyone else who'll listen is that God is love and that love gives. Love gives. It's the first thing that we see in this passage. And the word used for love here, something we talk about fairly often, is agape. It's that sacrificial love, that love that gives even to the point of hurting. It's not the feeling kind of love that we might experience in that more romantic type of love. What he's talking about is that He is willing to give of himself to the point that it hurts, the point that he's willing to give his only son to die for you and for me because that is the kind of love he feels for his creation or he has for his creation. I was reminded a bit of a a small piece of this this week as I was watching the news and there was this great story about a police officer in Colorado. In fact, she was a school resource officer but a police officer none the same. And this lady was someone who just loved kids. And she loved kids so much, she decided that I don't just want to, you know, help the kids in school. I just want to help any kid. And if I can do that anyway, I'll do it. So I'll become an organ donor right now. And so she became a donor who was willing to give a piece of her liver to any child that would need it. Well, a child came up, a 12-year-old boy, and they showed him uh, on the screen being interviewed. This kid had this great knowledge of airplanes. He was walking all around this air hangar, talking about the airplanes. You could tell this kid had a joy for life, even in the midst of his suffering, even in the midst of this disease that was gradually killing him. And this woman gave a part of his liver, and they showed the pictures beforehand. And he was this skinny, scrawny kid with yellow skin who was gradually dying. And there he was on the screen. He'd had the transplant about a year ago, and he looked so healthy and so full of joy. And it was incredible because she had given of herself at great cost that he might live. And this is just a small taste of God's love for us, isn't it? It gives us an idea of what it might be like for us to love others also. That there's a cost when we choose to love God and receive his love to then also give as others give in that way. Well, the second thing that we see is that God not only uh, gives and gives of himself that we might have eternal life. No, God's love also saves. Look at verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The Greek word used for save here is sozo, and it basically means to rescue someone. It is to come down and to rescue. Now notice, it's not God who condemns people. Sometimes people look at that passage and go, well, God condemns people. But notice this. If you move on to verse 18, it says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. You see, in our state right before we know God, We are condemned already because of our own choices and our own actions. We're condemned even from the point of birth because sin has entered in even from Adam himself. So condemnation comes upon us because of the choices of mankind and because of the choices that we have made ourselves, not because God is choosing to condemn us. No, verse 17 God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. You see, God, he gives. And he gives with the purpose that we might be saved and that we might also go out and help save others. That's the kind of love that he fills us with when we choose to follow him. The kind of love that would say, I'm going to set down my own rights. I'm going to set down my own desires and I'm going to choose to follow him. And I'm going to seek to help rescue and save other people. And it happens in various ways, doesn't it? We talked about this last week about how one of the greatest joys in life is to see someone come to know the Lord. And that's one way that we can ultimately help to rescue people is being a part of God's plan for salvation in the life of another. But we also do it through the way that we care for others. When we see them in need, we perhaps help save and rescue them. Not in a codependent way, that's not healthy, in a way that helps them to rely upon us, but in a way that ultimately points them to the one who will always be there for them and who will always continue to rescue them, who is Jesus. Well, the third thing about love that we see and about God's love is that love does. So love gives and love saves. And love does. Look at verse 18 again. "Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not, does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God." And then it goes on, and it says, "And the darkness, rather than the light uh, — sorry, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. What we see in verse 18 is that God comes to us that he might rescue us if we'll just choose to believe in him. You see, love is a verb. It's a doing word, isn't it? It's something that you try and hopefully live out each day in your daily life, not just through your words, but ultimately through your actions. Love acts when it sees a need. James chapter 2 speaks to this. It says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. What James is saying is if you are saved and you are rescued by the love of God, and yet then you choose not to go out and act upon that to respond in gratitude, that faith, that belief in God is dead. It's dead. It's not a real faith because the fruit is the proof of belief. In our passage from 1 John, we also saw this as well. 1 John 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know the love: the children of, that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. But this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Remember who Jesus is speaking to. He's speaking to this Pharisee of all Pharisees. This man who knew all the rules and he followed the rules very closely, very closely. But he followed them to the point that they were no longer an act of God's love. They were just a religious duty that was being carried out, an attempt to save themselves. But no, Love does, love acts, even in the most difficult of circumstances, love chooses to act. This is God's love. It's a love that gives, it's a love that saves, and it's a love that does. And I wonder, have you received this love in your own life? Is this something that you are living into in your identity? People who are loved by God are generally fairly easy to spot by their actions, their demeanor, the way they live their lives. People who know they're loved by God, sorry. People who live into that. Because these are people who live out a place of security. They don't make choices based upon what other people will necessarily think of them. And they're people who know that they can give, and they can give over and over again because God himself will fill them again with his spirit so that they can give some more. Have you received this kind of love? Or do you feel condemnation in your life? Because often what we feel is that we are not worthy of God's love. And that's condemnation. But God doesn't bring condemnation. His love brings peace. His love brings joy. His love brings a goodness to our lives that we cannot experience apart from him. Not condemnation. Also, does this love lead you to action? Does it lead you to follow him and to obey his commands? To love others as Jesus would have us love him? To live out the 10 commandments? To live out the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preaches? This is the right fruit of love in Jesus. And then do you love others as you are loved? Do you give of yourself? Do you seek to rescue others? And do you seek to act out in this love that you have received? Are you someone who's willing to forgive, not just once, but 70 times, 7 times, as Jesus would teach? Are you someone who's willing to be generous, not just out of the abundance of what you have, but out of all that you have? Are you someone who's willing to be kind, not because someone else has been kind to you, but just because that's your nature, is to keep on being kind? Are you someone who seeks to serve, not again because someone has served you, but because you desire to serve as Christ have served you. This is our call as Christians. Now, I have a confession to make to you all. I really struggle to love people. I struggle to love people, whether it's my family, whether it's my neighbors, whether it's you guys. I'm not pointing any fingers. <clears throat> but I struggle to love people in this way. And I bet if you're honest, you struggle this way too. Forgiveness is hard, Right? Forgiveness is hard. Being generous is hard. I want to keep to myself what isn't really mine. Being kind is hard because it's costly. Serving others is hard because it's tiring and it's exhausting. And like I said, if we're honest, I think these are things we all struggle with. But the good news of the gospel is, again, that God gives. He gives of himself, not just in Jesus Christ once and for all. Yes, that saves us from our sins. But he gives of himself in the Holy Spirit who now comes and is on this earth at work among us, at work among the lives of Christians, empowering them and filling them to live out this kind of love. When we turn to him, when we depend on him, when we spend time with him each day seeking to be filled, we are empowered to love in ways that we could never do on our own and in our own strength. Friends, love is so much more than just a feeling. Love is a choice that we make each day empowered by the love of God, by his spirit. Will you join me in seeking to love others well, even when it's costly and even when it's tiring? This is the love that the world needs to see this Christmas time and always. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the love of Jesus shown upon the cross of Calvary. Thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son, you sent God himself, you sent yourself to come to this world and to live and die among us that we might be people uh, who are adopted into your family when we repent and we choose to follow you. Now help us to love others well in response. Might we be people who give of ourselves over and over again, but empowered by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.